0: Hi, it's Sunday evening, <clears throat> I'm around eight thirty or so, and uh, I'm gonna do now Shabbos. I got all speeches behind me because I always have to work on that because it's long. Uh, I can now devote myself this week time to doing some uh, uh, talks about uh, Pesach, uh, about the Seder. I was going to, uh, uh, how should I put it? I was going to um, do a bio today, but as it happens. Uh, Lolly and, and Levy uh, Freeman are sponsoring it for Levy's uh, father. They did last week and this week. Very kind to of them. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with the fact there's a whole story involved here. It's a podcast by itself. And since it has to do with the Holocaust, it made me think of a part with the Saturday connected with the Holocaust. I think it would be more appropriate <coughs> to do that tonight. And here we go. So again, this uh, is being sponsored uh, in memory of the Freeman Friedman, whose uh, yard set was uh, the other day, I believe. At a twenty fifty yard site, uh, which is which is uh twenty five years a long time. And as I mentioned last week remember him well. But I myself didn't know that uh, you know he had a whole Holocaust history as a baby. And his so Momish has to do with the Ukraine war with Putin and all the other junk. So I told him, you know, send me a text that lays out the story basically. It turns out once we invest we had to modify it, which is often what happens when a historian gets involved family history, because you check it against the dates and all the rest of it. But still, it's remarkable. And apparently, so this is Yerachmiel Friedman, the time he was born. so We're talking about his parents, David Levy's grandparents. He said, the war, as we all know, Second World War broke out in um, beginning of September 39, September 1, 1939. That's when Hitler invaded Poland. What happened over there is, depending where you were in the Republic of Poland, in order to understand what I'm talking about, you basically have to get a map You'd hit, hit the Google, and you'd look at a map of Poland in 1939, or prior to that, and you'd see that the Republic of Poland included not only Poland, of course, on the one hand, but in addition to that, it included, um, I mean, not only areas of Poles, but also a, a piece of Ukraine. That's what's no Gaitas. to us. As I started to say in speeches, because it's no Gaya now, the part of the Ukraine that was included in the Republic of Poland is what we call Honors. Um, the province of Galicia was kind of long and straight. And so, uh, in other words, then it was a horizontal relatively to the map. And so a part of it is in Poland proper, what we call Krakow and all that. But I would say Rove was in the eastern part of Galicia. And uh, this was a place, so it's really Ukrainian, but Poland ruled it for various political reasons in the 20s and 30s. And Stalin had the rest of it. So if you're Ukraine, you're actually luckier if you're Jewish living under Poland than under Stalin, certainly if you're from. And he said his grandparents lived in Galicia and Przeworsk, or somewhere like that, which means maybe a little bit of a different town, but it's all the way over on the eastern part. Well, let's put it this way. Right near the the, the, the dividing part between... Um, right near the dividing part between um, and West of Galicia... And therefore, what happened in 1939 was Hitler made a treaty with Stalin, called the Ribbentrop-Molotov Pact, and they divided Poland. Hitler took, I guess you'd say two-thirds, something like that, and Stalin got, like I say, a third, a slice, and that would be the peace of Eastern Galicia. And so, if you're Jewish, as his grandparents were, Levi's grandparents, uh, all of a sudden, the world turned upside down, and the question is, what do you do? This is Jews had this question. What do you do nobody knew beforehand what hitler was going to do exactly now this is surprising considering what happened and we say in hindsight you should have seen it blah 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 but la it is a fact that many you know uh thought that hitler would be better than stalin because stalin was it was known that they would crush all religion and hitler was known like that just anti-semitic now there's anti-semitic and anti-semitic people thought i'll be anti-semitic Poland was also anti-Semitic. They didn't know he meant that he was going to kill everybody. You see? And so the story is they lived that time in, 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 in the Near Eastern Galicia. My grandmother was pregnant with my father, knows that would be Rachmil's mother and his father, and, and Rachmil's mother with, the, with, the, with Rachmil. And her husband didn't want to be taken in the Polish army. Uh, I understand that. <clears throat> By the way, 30,000 Jews were killed in uh, 1939, fighting for Poland, the Polish army. And so he ran to the Russian side. So he made the decision, I don't want to stay in the German side, i run to the Russian side. So he won't be taking the Polish army. But the grandmothers and parents and in-laws said, don't do that. And anyway, they told the pregnant wife, stay here. So was, don't go over to the Russian zone. But she said, I'm going there. Right, we just got married. Now I'm expecting we're going there. And they ended up in Lemberg or Lvov. Today, the Ukrainians control what they call Lviv. Um, Lviv, I was there a couple years ago. And this is a city, it always depends who's ruling it. Get it? But in 1939, 40 and 41, it was a real difficult, but it had tens of thousands of Jews living there. I don't know what the population, maybe 100,000 Jews, maybe more. I mean, it's a very large Jewish population. And it ended up under Stalin. Understand what I'm saying. In you know, other words, Stalin controlled Lvov or Lemberg, from late September of 39 all through 1940 and up to June of 1941 when Hitler took it over. When Hitler took over, we'll see there was a massacre. Surprise, surprise. But if you're Jewish and you're a God's and you see one army is coming one way the other coming the other way, so do you want to fall in the hands of Paro or do you want to fall in the hands of Nebuchadnezzar? You know what I mean? It was bad in both ways. And so this family... Uh, had to decide, and he said, Let's run to the east under Stalin. Uh, so that means that here we are in 39, and they went to Lvov, which is under the Soviet Union zone. But they weren't Russian citizens, they were Polish. But Poland has ceased to exist. My father, he says, was born a couple months later, <coughs> and Rabinskolb Shavorsk, who later became the Rebbe in Antwerp, was a Sandrik. In other words, I think many people don't know about in Antwerp, they have the Shavorsk. This is a Hasidic dynasty that goes back to Ali Melchizenz, and uh, then like this, uh, what happens to those people in places like Lemberg, in other words, in the zone that Stalin occupied, as I said before, between September or so of nineteen thirty-nine and June of forty-one, when he lost it to Hitler, uh, Lithuania, same thing. Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, same thing happened in June of forty. So what happened to the Jews when they're under Stalin? before Hitler came there. Now, um, Stalin said the Russians gave him two choices. Now, this is the way the story goes. Well, the family law is correct. Either go back to the German side or become a Russian citizen. If you become a Soviet citizen, your mom is under Stalin's control. You see, the problem was they used to be Polish, and Poland no longer exists. So if you're Jewish, you're just a pawn in all this. Now, the Jews had to decide what to do. So here you are, early 40, I guess, early 1940, and they asked the Rebbe, the Shavorska Rebbe, who was also ran away to uh, uh, Lemberg, to Lvov, and he said, don't do either. Don't go to the German side and don't register in Russia. Just live illegally. Right? Now, that actually turned out to be smart, but at that time, must have looked very dangerous. Um, and so, for about six months, he says, they lived illegally. But then, you know, the Russians ran out of patience, the Soviets, and anyone who did not sign up to be a Soviet citizen was rounded up and sent to Siberia. Okay? So in other words, this happened when Rachmiel, whose yard site was the other day, was a half-year-old, six-month-old baby. So then people started saying, the Rebbe's a jerk. You know? Look what happened to us. Uh, we could, st- If we would save Soviet citizens, if we would sign up as Soviet citizens, we'd be living in Lemberg. Uh, okay. And uh, now we're sent to Siberia. Hard labor. Well, the point of the story, of course, is that within uh, not too long later, the war broke out in the Eastern Front and Hitler took over Lemberg. And those people who were not sent to Siberia were massacred in horrible ways. I've done this talk several times. If you have a strong stomach, you can go on Yad Vashem or something like that and just Google, you know, Holocaust, Lemberg, massacres, junk like that. You see pictures of Jewish women literally being torn apart. I mean, I don't want to even say it. They're being torn apart. Babies pulled out of them. It's just horrible. And this is what the Lemberg people did, the Ukrainians. You get it? It's just, it, uh, like I said, you have to have a strong stomach um, to see the pictures. So that's what happened when Hitler came in, and all those Jews who had been living good until then now took it on the chin. Okay? Masha came these people who followed the Rebbe over here and went to Siberia. They survived the war. You understand what I'm saying, right? Uh, you know, it's like that. And according to the story that he's sending me, the Rebbe said to them, today was 23 Sivan. Right? Chaf Sivan, that was the Hebrew day, which means it was June of 1940. Not 41, but 40. And Chav Gimel Sivan is a happy day because, um what do you call it? In the Purim story, that's when the letters were finally sent out, you know, to defeat the anti-Semites. You know what I'm saying? You know, after Purim took place, it took a while for them to send out the shneos. So, the Rebbe said, just like Hav Gimel was the beginning of their Yeshua, the beginning of our Yeshua, which is what happened. But the other 60 members of the family and so forth were all murdered, as we as we all know, right? And then they lived on in Soviet Union to the end of the war, one way or another, and eventually came to Italy, and then eventually came to this country, right? And uh, his father ended up uh, in Tavadosh. Uh, that's what you're the muscle from Tova das. So it's one of those stories. So, you knows they had a stickle nace over there. Well, guess what? I know six million people who had no nace. I mean, that's how it worked in those years. Either you made the right choice, you got the lucky choice, or you didn't. Those who didn't got killed. Plain and simple. Right? So, that's that's, that's quite a Myself. Now, by the way, I just happened to look this up talking to him. Chav Gibble Simon, the following year, is the day Hitler entered Lemberg. Isn't that crazy? It's the day the Germans came in and began the massacre, which took several days and was just horrible, 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 uh, and then of course they just exterminated everybody. So Lemberg was a terrible place to be in forty-one, forty-two. I mean, it's, you know, all of that area was, but Lemberg was really bad. <laughs> so as we say, and the Sham and all this, but it's an Udmutzelmay situation. These guys, the freedmen, now are lucky. They know it, because a lot, like I said before, I know six million people didn't get lucky. Okay. Now, since... Isn't that something? By the way, that's a movie. <laughs> that's a movie. Tell Howard me to make a movie. Now, the thing is, and it's true, by the way, uh, this made me think in terms of Haggadah. I'll tell you where I'm going. It's actually something I was, I was musing about the other day in the, in, in the Shabbat Shuvah Dresha, which it was a long, you know, three hours. So I had a lot of different material in there. And uh, part of it has to do... With the following cause. I'm just thinking how to present it to you. There's a famous work that I said before in previous years, uh that has to do with the famous passage of ben minu Avoda which is the culmination, you might say, of the Passover story because that's when the slaves hit rock bottom. Uh, it's in the Haggadah, of course, right? In the second half, in the Magid. And, uh you know, and all that business. Right? So, uh the plain meaning is the Pharaoh died and the people cried, and, you know, they cried bitterly because they had a day off and, and, and uh, they didn't work like dogs from sunrise to sunup up that particular day, and therefore Hashem heard their cra- prayer. There's a famous word that <coughs> I've said in the past from the Chido. He brings it from some Sefaradah, I forget who. It's in the Chido, the God of the New... Nice one with the kudos, And, um... It was that... The uh, word El-Kim El-Him comes out to 86, I believe. Tav is also 86. Uh, and, uh... And they were 86 years in Avoda. The actual... Uh, uh, there's a... Seder Olam that says that the years they were actually in physical, heavy-duty slavery was a total of 86 years. Because you and I know... First of all, they weren't there for 400 years. Second of all, right, they were in, you know, for uh, for 210. But that includes the time that Yosef was there and Yaakov came there. And those, the whole 210 is from the time they came till the time they left. That's not the whole time of the slavery, right? So it's 86 years, which is Elohim, you know. Now, um, and also it's, it's avoda. I think. It's Avodo. comes out also to 70, to 86, I believe, if you do the math. Uh, that's what he said. I'm doing this all by heart, I'm just sitting here. So, uh, they dove and they said, we're going crazy. Because really, Moshe B'nai Yisrael, Asher Mitzrayim, Shloshim Shana, They're supposed to be there for a grand total of 430 years. Because from the time Hashem told Avram, Brits Ben Abisarim, you know, Ger Yazar, Choretz, and so forth and so on, that was the time Brits of Abisarim, 30 years before uh, Yitzhak was born, so it was a grand total of 4, 430 years. Um, and if he hadn't done Chishov as a case, he would have done 430 four years all, uh, total. But that means 430 years is 5 times 86. Get it? 430 years is 5 times 86. So, uh, This is how the word goes. is times 5 times Avodah. They knew that the prophecy was that they were they couldn't take standing there 430 years. It was impossible. And they really start dominating their heads off. And uh, you know, what does it say? By they couldn't stand be five times. And therefore, each time it says the word Elohim in there, it, it means that Hashem deducted uh, one fifth, uh, forty-six. Uh, I mean, eighty-six years. Let, let me get the Positive inside. And see, one second. And uh, so after they cried, it says like this: listen closely to the puzzle. Um, four times the word: El-Kim. listen again. That's one, that's two, that's three, that's four. So each time they dove and they were daubing omek Halev, you know, they were suffering and all that kind of stuff. So, it was Poyol, because all davening works, um, is pile uh, to, to reduce, you know, one Avodah, one unit, one-fifth. So, uh, if they were supposed to be there five times the 86, which is four thirty years, it was reduced just to one times 86. And it so happened that this took place in the 85th year, and basically, they were saying, you know, help, 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 and they didn't know, of course, that their answers, their their their, their prayers are being answered, but um, but all forty, all four times eighty six have been deducted, and they were by year eighty five, and uh, and therefore it's pale. and the very next passage is a Moshe Ha-yerel, son Yisrael, Chose, Moshe that hundreds of miles away a shepherd named Moses, chased chases a sheep up of of, of of a mountain and there's a burning bush there, and the, and the rest of the story you know, in other words, from the time that they davened their heads off about 12 months later approximately uh they, they, they left egypt right the issue was out was around the corner the issue was around the corner and much less than 12 months later they stopped being slaves because once he did dumb to our kingdom you know they wrecked the economy they couldn't work they didn't work anymore that's how that works however which is a good shot right it's a very good shot uh, however this year I, I saw I mentioned yesterday in my speech, uh, from that really cool book that just came out, the guy, it's called Droshos, the Shabbos, I which are um, uh, quotes from classic uh, Droshos of yesteryear, the kind I like, you know, Zarya Figo, the Moral, uh, Prussian Hashrachim, and so forth. Uh, Marie Mint, uh, uh, what do you call it, Shmuel uh, Yehuda, Katz and Ollenbogen, from Italy, and so forth and so on. And the one that I was particularly attracted to is number one is Arya Figo, which I'll mention later. And the other one is uh, from Precious Drakham, who is the Mishnah Melch, the is honest, And the Mishnah Melch is playing around in his brush. I've done it before. In fact, I've done it in the show. I just like the way this book breaks it up into units. And he really chopped it up into small pieces with headlines. I, I like that. Right? I like that. And um, it goes like this. Uh, so it's a whole long brush, but it's broken into small units makes makes it very digestible for someone like me. I'm a stickle nut so you know, I like that sort of thing. Now, uh the thing goes like this. Uh he reads the puzzle, he says an uncle reads the puzzle different. Here we deal with the basic fundamental question, why did the Jews get out early? They're supposed to be for 4 in a year, four hundred thirty 30 years. Why did they get out early? So, in classic I'm I'm now paraphrasing the Prussian Torah. No, it was the uh, In classic rabbinic thought, if you look in the Chazals, you see there's three basic concepts to try to make sense out of this. One is Koshi Hashiba, the other one, second one is Rebo Hechlissia, and the third one is Nashem Tzidkanias. I know I've mentioned in the past, but this year he gave it a different spin <coughs> connected with the Holocaust, in my opinion. The Hainu, uh, one opinion is goes like this. Koshi Ashibut, the Egyptian moms there and worked them so hard, not normal hours. And so that resulted in the fact that the number of actual worked hours was way beyond the normal. So Hashem, Kishib is a case, he said, I'm going to say that, I, that the Jews were supposed to be from Armavino, Arba Meishana, de Meishana, That's 400 years of eight hour work days, let's say, for argument's sake but the Egyptians are working them 16 hours a day, which is crazy. So basically, you cut the time in half. You get what I'm saying? In other words, 400 years of 8-hour workdays equals 200 years of 16-hour workdays. So the koshi ash the the uh, intensity, the harshness of the sh uh gave them double the amount of suffering than normal, and that means that whereas Hashem intended that the suffering should be strung out in a more moderate matter over 400 years, but the Egyptians, being the Momsim that they were, just did it uh, real harsh now, like Hitler, and the result was it got them out early because they reached the number of hours. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just for argument's sake. Let's say the number was a half a million hours. I'm just making it up. So, they reached a hundred, uh, half a million hours of of, of uh, labor time, Uh, you know, in 210 years. That's that's one way of looking at it. Listen to Chazal. A second way of looking at it is to say, that the Jews had an unnatural uh, increase. They had six kids, and six kids had six kids, and, and she only had six at a time, so she could have five sets of triplets, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. So then you say like this, the normal population, again, for argument's sake, normal population was 300,000. So... Uh, laborers. So Hashem said there be 400 years of, of slavery by 300,000 laborers. So again, that comes out to a certain amount of work. But if you double the population, you double the workforce, so then that same number gets in half the time. So again, if it's a half million hours of labor from 300,000 people, then if you have 600,000 people, it won't be a half million, it'll be a quarter million. But it'll come out to the same amount of work. So it's the same approach, which is chichev as a case in the sense of a CPA, a creative CPA. You know, you hire somebody to be a CPA, you know, it's not cheating exactly, because that's not, we're not talking about Josh, I'm not cheating, but you're, you know, uh, rehegemining based on an actual, you know, uh, 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 reality. And those, you're getting more hours out of this. A third approach, which is completely different, as Rabbi Akiva. Surprise, surprise. Noshim Tzikonios. Noshim Tzikonios. That stands by itself. You see, you have no idea who the women were. You have no idea who the women were. But anyone who knows who the women were knows that, they're, that what they did is above and beyond. And therefore, that got them out early. That, that's the far over there. Noshim Tzikonios. You know, Rabbi Kiva and his wife, Rachel, you know, you you get you hear that. The Messiris Nefesh and so forth. That broke all the records. So there, it's not a vart in cheshiv in the case by billable hours or something like that, or refiguring the math. You're just saying like this: mystical, You know, a Jewish mother can can break all the records just by itself. Okay, those are the three classic opinions. <clears throat> all right, so. Uh, the Prashish Drachim was playing around with this in his Russia. you should look at it if you if you're interested in it, I don't know who you know, I don't think most of my listeners here are that type, but if you have the patience to go through the precious Drachim, which is his drasha quite long uh, but they're very good, and believe it or not they are manuka. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure why, but, but God bless him anyhow, uh, he has said he had an uncle who uh, took into account the great massacres that the Egyptians perpetrated upon the Jews. Because here we're talking about uh, Levi Friedman's father and grandparents and all those people killed by Hitler. Yes, that's true. There were massacres, obviously, of 6 million in the Shoah. But there were massacres by the Egyptians also. First of all, they threw all the babies in the river. Just tell me how many that was. That's a ton. You get what I'm saying? I'm just from the murder perspective. We always focus on the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu survived. I get that. I know that story too, right? But for every Moshe, there was a million of them, right? Especially if the women had six children and this and that and the other. one had six boys and all the rest. So imagine somebody, get, I mean, imagine someone having six kids. Let's just for argument's sake, it was five boys and a girl. And then the guy shows up and takes all five children and throws them in the river and they're dead in a second. This is what happened, you know, right? This is what happened. In addition to that, The Pusik says, and this is where the uncle of the precious Rachim has his Vart. The Pusik says, And I told you this a week ago or two, that if you look in Rashi over there, so um, Rashi has a different approach. Uh, Why were they crying out? Not simply from the hard work because they had a day off, but uh, rather the way Rashi learns it, midrashically, I agree, it's midrashic. Rashi says, uh, no the king of egypt did not die he got leprosy and as a result they shachted the jewish babies to bathe in the blood i think i did this podcast the other day and indeed it turns out from archaeology that it was believed as a therapy long ago in the middle east that human blood is a good thing for dermatology issues I'm serious, you know. Of which the leprosy would be the worst, or I don't know. It's a bad one anyway. So here's Pharaoh, and he's got, he's stricken with saras, and they came up with the idea of killing the Jewish babies and using and taking baths in the blood. If you go with the midrash, it says that Pharaoh took two baths a day, so they killed hundred. It took it and babies don't have a lot of blood, so he killed 150 in the morning and 150 in the afternoon, so 300 babies at least. That's assuming that some didn't have enough, that they didn't kill a couple extra, but let's go with what the Chazal tells. So it went for on and on, and went for years, he didn't get rid of the, the leprosy. So, um, what he calls? I mean, you're massacring babies all the time, little children all the time. So the numbers between the ones they threw in the river and the ones that they uh, shechted to use their blood, plus the ones that you and I know that they put in the bricks. Remember with that story with Moshe with the babies in the bricks? Plus, who knows, you know, all this stuff like these sick dogs, you know, they did the mom's there. So they killed a heck of a lot of people. You see? And so, this is a midrashic Sephardic 18th-century word but it's a very good one. So the king of Mitzrayim got leprosy, and they started killing children right and left. And then the B'nai Yisro really freaked out. Uh, why? Because they were depending on the Rebu They were depending on the fact that since they're having so much pru or vu, they're going to bring up such a large number of Jews that the number of billable hours are going to be consumed. By the new babies, no, they'll grow up, they'll work, and that'll that'll reduce the time that the Jewish people are in Egypt. We can't take 400 years of this junk. It's bad enough as it is. We've been here, as you and I know. uh, I repeat, this was the 85th year. Next year, most they were out. So, in retrospect, we've been here. They would say about 213 years. That's long enough. It's more than enough. We can't take another 213 years of this junk. You know, in other words, it's impossible. It's got to be over. But we were counting on our vu to bring that about by Reba by an unnatural increase in the population, which would result in reducing the number of years we're in each because more and more choose to be in the labor force, and Hashem could be Mechashem as a case. But then they found that. By Yomus which means the king got leprosy, and now he's going to bring a new massacre on the babies, which he commenced to do. Oh my God! So the Rebo Yehlucio is now going to be eliminated, exterminated by the Egyptian Holocaust. You see, and that means that we won't be able to count on the increased population to reduce the time that we're in Egypt. Oh my God! We're here for 400 years, another 210 years, 212 years, whatever the Jews freaked out over the Avodah we're going to go another 200 years like we can't handle this they were screaming I mean, they were really freaked because they had actually had hopes that the Rebo the increased population would bring about soon the end of the slavery because as I say before the, the, the totaling number of the billable hours based on the amount of, of, of work that the Increased number of workers we're going to bring, and now there's not going to be an increased number of workers because they're cutting them off, and so that's his interpretation of what happened in the pasuk. It's different than the one I said fifteen minutes ago from the chiddo. It's that they were going crazy because they they, they perceived that the massacres uh, were about to bring out uh, an end of the rebu and Now I want to be very clear about this. Remember what I told you. This incident happens just before Moshe commences his mission. The next line is Moshe al hey, own. So you and I, the reader, can be smug and look with, with hindsight and say, well, what were you complaining about? You were about to leave. They didn't know that in, in 12 months they were out. They didn't know that within a few months the, the plagues would begin, a whole new re- mitzius, revolution in would happen. As far as they understood, Pyro is now to begin a policy of shakhting babies Yom Balayor. Who knows? They're going to, and they're throwing babies in the river. Who knows, they're going to come up with an even bigger plan to keshach more babies. Notice, this is the beginning of an Egyptian Holocaust. I know it didn't happen that way, but you get what I'm saying? From their perspective, but, they thought, here it comes. Now comes some gigantic massacre system, which would not be beyond the Egyptians at all. Okay, I mean, we know that. And so, the result is, they were majorly freaked. Um, uh, and that's a very interesting shot because it shows the desperation that the venez rail were in but I'm going to tell you that's um that's part of it uh, and the reason I said it is because it's it's it's, it's freaky it did something like this happened in the modern era just so we're talking about the 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 and lolly's uh, parents about lady's parents his father you probably don't know this unless I mention it, but if you take the trouble and you Google it right, you can look at if you ever are interested in the question, what is the population of the Jews in the world? The real numbers. Now, when I say the real numbers, no numbers are real because they never get it exactly right. You don't count everybody, but you know the most accurate and not fluffed up, puffed up, schmuffed up numbers. And if you want to know how to do that, uh, you look at the research. This is my opinion, right? You look at the research of Professor Della Pergola, okay, who's a Jewish guy, a, uh, hey, what do you call it? A Shama Shabbos in, um, in Israel. Uh, he's, a, you know, 70s, I guess, right? He was born in 1942. And uh, he, I'll, I'll say it again, you know, he, he comes from a family that was Orthodox in Italy, like I was doing the other day, you know, with Rabbi Margulis and so forth. He had some. And he has been the guy who, um, what shall I say? He's been the guy who who um, does the numbers on the, on the demography. Get it? On the demography of Egypt, of the Jewish people. So if you really want to get a good a number, an accurate number, how many Jews in the world today? You look at... The, He's, in, he's the head of the Hebrew University unit for doing demographic research within the Jews. So if you want to know how many Jews are in the world today, really, go to Della Pergola. That's his name, Professor Sergio Della Pergola. Now, I'm not saying his numbers are 100%. I don't agree with 100% either, to tell you the truth. But they're better than all the other numbers. So how many Jews are there in America? How many Jews are there in England? How many Jews are in the world? How many Jews were there in 1920? And so on and so forth. And you'll find... That uh, you can get a chart. I used it yesterday in my my speech, and the point I want to get to is that the Jewish people, not in the in the recent past, Mamish went through part of a yishur tzibayirba bayatzem b'meod I mean it. Many people don't know this. I mean, a lot of things they don't know about history. The Jewish people quintupled in a hundred years between eighteen thirties and nineteen thirties. In 1825, I had this chart yesterday. I brought the show. The number of Jews in the world was something like 3.2 million, all together in the whole world. And by 1935, 39, the numbers were 16.5 million. So from 3.2 to 16.5. That's quintupling. That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, the main Rebo had to be in Eastern Europe. I'm very serious about this. I don't think it wasn't. A big population boom by the Yekkahs, certainly in the West, and by the him It's interesting, but there was a huge population boom of crazy proportions. I'll say it again. I'm not talking about ancient history. I'm talking about recently, between the 1820s and the 1920s, or 1820s, 1930s, if you want to get technical. And the Jewish people contoupled. And so you might say, oh, you have Rebo Elchlusio, the Mashiach is coming. <laughs> you know, There'll be so many Jews. Um, so many Jews, you want to feel sad? What if the British would have let them all move to Israel in 1920 after the First World War? Let's say they would have got a state of Israel, which was a possibility. I'll say it again. A certain possibility. It didn't happen in 1920. You wouldn't have had a Holocaust and we would have had 10 million Jews in Palestine and Israel, like in the thirties, you know, you could have a very interesting war game. You know, if you want to have one, if one of these people like to play, what if? You know, Like what if Robert Ely won? Imagine if Hitler would have fought World War II with a population of ten million Jews in Israel, in the state of Israel, which I'm sure would have been the whole Israel, you know, including the West Bank. Ten million, right? Because the Jews would have run away there from the from the from the anti-Semitism in Europe, you know. Ten million Jews? They could wipe out Rommel in two seconds. They wouldn't the British would have no trouble with them. Imagine an army of one million Jews going after Rommel in North Africa. The Germans would be toast. You know, saying They'd be toast. And the Jews would have Hanor <laughs> wiping out the German, no prisoners, you know. Now, um, of course, it didn't happen that way. But you had this Rebo Yichlusia. But then the same thing the Hitler did like Pyro. He wiped out, except the Pyro was prevented and, and Hitler was not. They wiped out the, the big Yichlusia because they took out 6 million Jews, as we know, or 5.5 to be exact. So for, if you go by five and a half, from sixteen and a half million, went down. What does that come out to? Eleven million. Is that right? So I mean, that's that's the basic numbers after the Holocaust. Is eleven million, you know, give or take a little bit here and there. Now, um, that's that's the numbers you're dealing with. Um, my goodness. See, Mom, should have the same thing, and I'll tell you even more than that. Um, you tell me we didn't lose six million in Egypt. Actually, we did. If you do, they say, you know, uh, four fifths, perished in uh, and so forth, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk about that. So, uh, it's a, it's a crazy parallel. Just like in the time of, of Egypt, they couldn't get out because of the, uh, the, uh, Massacre of the Reboi Except there Hashem intervened. Because they davened. In World War II. Uh, the Jewish people didn't get. The kind of Israel that you and I would want. From a security point of view. Uh, because of. The the massacre of the Reboi You understand? The Reboi Echlusio. And. Uh, phew, it, what's weird. But fascinating. Is that. In Egypt, the listen closely, I'm going to say this. The massacre of the Reba of the great Jewish population, triggered a Jewish freakout, which triggered a Jewish davening, which triggered a Ge'ula. Which means that you had the death of the equivalent of six million with the Makas Shoshech, but it resulted in the Ge'ula. You understand? So the killing, the death of the of the babies in the beginning of the massacre triggered the davening thing which led to the gula. In the modern times also, in a weird way, the death of the six million led to the state of Israel which is much less than the gula but nevertheless, it's remarkable. I mean, many people know this. The, um, many people know this. Uh, what, what, what can I tell you? The, 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 um, Plus the koshia Hashibut. I mean, that's the point. Hitler is definitely mikhailim the Koshi Hashibut. My father was a slave laborer for a while for Hitler. And he said they had a vote. You know, a Avotis Perich means backbreaking labor. We think that's a literary phrase, like from Shakespeare, backbreaking labor. No, it means, it means the, the stuff's so heavy, it breaks. And my father told me he saw, in, uh, in, you know, when he was working as a slave labor under Hitler, he saw people being given such heavy burdens to do that their back broke. And he died, of course, in agony. Uh so the Kosha uh, and the Reba Achlusi, and the massacre of Achlusia resulted then in three years after the end of the Holocaust, because the war ended in May of forty five, and by May of forty eight you had Israel. Now again, it's not the same thing as the Gula, I'm aware of that, but the parallels are weird. That you had the massacre, you had the Kosh Hashibu, and then you had you know a better situation. So um this is not a simple fort to say over at the Haggadah and as I said, I was thinking about this based on the fact that we're talking about uh, the parents and grandparents of, uh, of Levy, Levy Freeman over here, but the, you got to admit, the, the, the parallelism is quite gripping. And we do say, Benissa Nigulu, Benissa Asili Goyal, that the future Ghul will come out something like, the, like, like that of Egypt. Um, we haven't had a Ghul yet, but on the other hand, strange things have happened. And the death of the 6 million did, in my opinion, uh, did trigger the State of Israel because I think the West was uh, full of a guilt trip. Uh, you know, today they would never vote for a State of Israel, take the land away from the Palestinians. But in '48, they did, under the impact of the Holocaust. Truman himself, if you look at the, uh, go online, when I was a kid, there was a TV show. When I was a little, very little kid, uh, Truman, he used to talk about his presidency. And it's on, now you can get it on the YouTube because they have all the old shows. And Truman's like this... I recognized Israel. I helped Israel because I was—he um, doesn't use these words, but he says, I was freaked out by the uh, pictures of the D, of the of the DP victims. You know what I mean. In other words, when the Americans came to the to the camps and they saw those horrible pictures of what, of how the Germans starved everybody to death and so forth. You know the 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 bad pictures of the liberation of the concentration camp and the survivors who were emaciated, all the rest. He says it gave me nightmares. And Truman, who who did this TV show like in nineteen sixty, sixty one, sixty two, says many years later, he said, "I still get nightmares from this. I still get nightmares from this." Uh, I saw this in the book by uh, what the heck is his name? Came out a year or two or three ago in the Jewish Review books. Uh, and the name escapes me. My professor wrote about Truman in the State of Israel. Uh, so you, I mean, I don't say. That, you know, the six million should die, so they should be in Israel. Uh, but but something like that did happen. So, we see the Yad Hashem in, in, in very broad ways, even though it's not identical as happened before. And, um, what we all hope is that we're Mechaim all the, let's put it this way, now that the Holocaust is behind us, let's hope that that was supposed to be the Hevli Mashiach, you know what I mean? Because you don't want it again. Uh, but, uh, it's it's kind of heavy stuff, so uh, if you have adults at the seder, I think that this is actually a very a very interesting conversation uh, to have uh, because it's supposed to be you see yourself the Mitzrayim and Kimei Seis Mitzrayim and the flows. The pasuk says that the, the Gaula will all, will 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 be similar to the Seis Mitzrayim uh, scenario, won't be identical, but it'll be Kimei Seis Mitzrayim and the flows. It'll be it'll be like it, and clearly this business of Riva Vichlusia could be the whole business. On the other hand, if I wanted to be you know popular, I'll say like this: the noshim tzikonis did it then; the noshim tzikonis will do it again. It could be, you know, the Asia is 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 a magic weapon of the Jewish people. But anyway, um, you get the general idea. And once again, I want to say to thank Levi and Lolly for sponsoring this week also and uh this time we got the story out there rightly and you see uh like I said they're like me you know Ud They, you know they happen to be lucky that the family was one of the few that made uh, the right choice at the right time and got out of the way of Hitler and had a hard time I'm sure working under Stalin during the war and were able to get out and uh they still had enough Yiddish guy and they got out of Stalin and went to Torvadas. So uh, we pay tribute to the memory of his father, Yachmiel, and Shalom uh, Shalom, and I hope to return to other Pesach things this week. And with that, I wish you a good evening. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at ww.dot